All right, we are in, in Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. And we are reading from, from uh, uh, verse 1. Genesis chapter 16, reading from verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Let me just, let me just uh, entitle this today that disrespect is contagious and goodness brings honor. Disrespect is contagious and goodness brings honor. So we see in, in, in chapter 16, verse 1, that Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Now we've heard that several times and it was first revealed in, in Genesis uh, chapter 11, it was revealed to us that Sarai was unable to bear children. Now, God had given a promise to Abram that he would have descendants. And that, and that then he said, the descendants are not going to be ones that are assigned to you through adoption, but the descendants are going to come forth from your own body. But he hasn't yet said anything about a promise that Sarai was going to be the one to be the mother. So I'm sure Sarai was aware of the promises to Abram and she tries to help this thing out. Now, in many ways, this was a noble thing to do because you can look in the law of Hammurabi, which is, which is similar time period to this. And it was, it was designated that if a woman was unable to bear, she could choose another woman in her stead to bear the children on her behalf. So this was not uncommon in those days. We look at it and we're like, Whoa, this is, but, but it was not that uncommon in those days. Nevertheless, the, the scriptures talk about it as a lapse in faith. Now you remember when, when Sarai herself was disrespected by Abram as they were going into Egypt in, in Genesis chapter 12, it says, it says, uh, um, in verse 11 of Genesis chapter 12, it came about when he came near Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, see now, I know that you're a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. But say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you that I may live on on account of you. Think about this. Think about your husband saying to you, well, Act as if you're not my wife so that 
in case there's any trouble, you can go off with that man and he won't kill me. You'd be like, uh, isn't there another way? How about I stay here in this land, you go into Egypt, get food and bring it back out here. So this was a real lapse of faith in Abram's case. They go into that land. The person who sees her is Pharaoh's uh, attendants. Pharaoh's attendants then commit her to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, yeah, you are a beautiful woman. She goes to be his wife before he can touch her. God curses Pharaoh. And and, uh, as a result, Pharaoh gives lots of gifts to Abram because he thinks he's going to first, at first he thinks he's going to be marrying this woman. And so Abram being the, the brother, he gives all these gifts and they got more gifts on the way out. One of those gifts was Hagar, the Egyptian. That's how Hagar comes into the scene in the, in this whole saga. So now Hagar, the Egyptian becomes part of this whole scene. And you see that in, in chapter 16, it says in verse two, uh, 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 so Sarai said to Abram, now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Well, this is right. The Lord has prevented her from bearing children, which means that if a woman is having children, this is of the Lord. If a woman is able to have children, this is of the Lord. If the Lord has prevented her from having children, that means that if she had been able to have children, it would be of the Lord. Children are of the Lord. They are not a nuisance. They're not an accident. They are of the Lord. Every child is of the Lord. It says, so Sarai said to Abram, now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. This is going to cause problems for the next two, two and a half thousand years. This is going to cause problems. This was a big, big mistake. And the scriptures talk about it as a mistake. Nonetheless, the scriptures talk about in the New Testament, they talk, it mentions twice about Sarah, and it speaks of her very highly. It says in, in 1 Peter 3, 6, just as Sarai obeyed Abram, calling him Lord, and you have become her children, if you will do what is right without being frightened by any fear. So they, they speak of her as being quite submissive. We're going to see that that wasn't always the case. But the scriptures have a very forgiving way with people or the scriptures can have a very non-forgiving way with people. And if you come back to the Lord, the scriptures have a very forgiving way with you. In Hebrews 11.11, it says, By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. So she is among the men and women of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 that are put up as examples for us. Even though she had this last lapse of faith. When you have a failure, it doesn't mean it's the end. There is recovery in Christ. And in fact, it's, it speaks about that quite explicitly. If you, if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, it says, For consider your calling, brethren, 
that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, that He might nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by His doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So he says the reason, the very reason why you are among the chosen, those of you that have followed Jesus, the very reason why you're among them is because you're weak. So if you think yourself strong, you're wrong. You are chosen, you are in Christ because you are weak. That's what this says. Because of your failures, because of your weakness, you are in Christ. That's why He's chosen you. So regardless of your past, regardless of your failures, He has chosen you and you can be in Christ. He is very forgiving. In Christ, in Jesus, we are forgiven. It says, He becomes to us, Jesus becomes to us wisdom from God. Any wisdom you have is from Him. It's not inherent within you. You, and righteousness, anything that is right in your life, you have because of Jesus, not because of yourself. And sanctification, sanctification means being set apart. You've been set apart, you've been elected, you have been chosen. It's all because of Jesus. And redeemed, and redemption, everything we have is because of Christ. So if you look upon your life as a failure, and you will come to some point in your life where you will fail miserably... And you'll be like, how could I ever do that? I've totally blown your, my witness. Well, welcome to the world of being a believer. We fail many, many times. Wait until you're a parent and you'll, you, you, before you're, you have kids, you say, I, I, I would never do that. That's the very thing you'll end up doing. All right? Whatever you say, I would never do that, you'll end up doing. So don't even say it. If that thought comes to your mind, say, Lord, prevent me from doing that. You know how weak I am. May I never do that. If you say, my parents did this to me, I would never do that to my kid. Just say, Lord, may I never do that to my child. And, and because we are chosen because of our weakness, so that we can't boast about this thing. Everything we have, if there's any goodness, it's in Christ. And it says in verse chapter 16 of Genesis, verse 2, And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. This is the same word, the same word where it says that, that uh, uh, Adam listened to his wife Eve. This is the same, the same word that's used here about listening to the voice of the wife. It's the same context of what, what happened with, with Adam and Eve when he listened to his wife and ate of that fruit. And it says, and after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan. So remember, we had learned that in, in chapter 12 that he was 75 when he came in. So now he's 85. Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. Abram disrespected the conjugal marital relationship. And she, too, now disrespects it. So disrespect is contagious. If there is a relationship, let me, let me give you a, an example. If there is a relationship between a young man and a young woman, and, and uh, um, 
say, say the young man is pushing the young woman to do things in that relationship which she knows are wrong. If she succumbs to that, she will never view him with as much respect as she had before. If there's a man at work who say CEO of a company or vice president of a company, and this this young secretary looks up to him like, wow, he's he's an amazing person. If he starts flirting with her, she will never have the same respect for him that she had formerly. Disrespect is contagious. You lose respect by walking in an immoral way. If there's a young man and the woman starts hitting on the young man to sleep with her, which happens, and the young man is resisting, he'll never have the same respect for that woman that he would have had. Disrespect is contagious. Goodness brings honor. And what I am saying to you as the believer, as the believer, you are now learning. You walk in goodness and uprightness. And you will be much more respected. He disrespected her in the relationship. She is now disrespecting him. Go ahead, take this maid of mine, this Egyptian maid. In verse 4, he went into Hagar, she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. Meaning that once Hagar had, had, had conceived, she despised Sarai. Why? Because Sarai put her in a relationship that was not right. Disrespect is contagious. She now disrespects Sarai. She must have really loved that maid or she would not have given this woman to her husband. But now once this type of disrespect came in, she now disrespects Sarai. You want disrespect in your life? You treat other people disrespectfully and you will get disrespect from them in return there are these standards now that was acceptable in the time that was acceptable at the time you can read the code of Hammurabi Hammurabi this is before the law of Moses came this was acceptable it was socially acceptable at the time it was something socially acceptable but it wasn't a good thing. It wasn't right. It wasn't the best thing in God's eyes, even though it was allowed by the law of the land. So just because something is allowed by the law of the land does not make it right. And we see many times this happens. It was the law of the land that slavery was permitted. And people, people just did it because it was part of the culture. But we look now and we see how wrong that was. Just because something is the law of the land does not make it right in God's eyes. Does not make it right in God's eyes. Because there are cultures. So Abram did something that was wrong. Even though at the time it was okay. So what should we do with Abram? Should we say that Abram did something that was socially allowed, but in God's eyes wrong? Let's negate everything that Abram ever did. 
He's no good because he did this. Let's negate everything he's ever done. Let's just cross his name right out of the Bible, take out every verse where he's there. Because why remember him? Because he did this. And Sarai, his wife, look at her. Let's pull her out too. No, God doesn't judge people from another generation by the standards of the generation that existed another time. You can look at, at uh, uh, Caleb, Caleb, great Caleb, who said, we can take that land. You can look at David, great King David, who God really loved. You can look at Gideon, Gideon, who God conquered the Moabites powerfully through Gideon. And in fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, makes mention of David, makes mention of Gideon. And we hear many things about Caleb. All three of those men had concubines. Those were women for sexual pleasure that were not their wives. Shall we judge them by the standards of today? God doesn't. God holds them up to us as men of great faith. There are things that you will do today in this culture which are culturally acceptable, which at some point in the future will no longer be culturally acceptable. So should we negate every good thing you've ever done and strike your name from history because you did something that was culturally acceptable at this time? Let me give you an example. Something that is the law of the land is abortion. And abortion in some states over the entire nine months, even in the birth canal as the baby is being born, and now in New York and Virginia, once the baby has been born. If the intent was to abort the baby, if the abort baby comes out alive, you can just let that baby die. That's the law of the land. So as people get used to these laws and it becomes socially and morally acceptable, what if in 50 years or 100 years people should see that that was so wrong? How would you like them judging you based on that? You think that everything you do is morally right? When I see tweets that come out, what people say, I'm like, whoa, you are in for it. When you pile on to people for things where they have had moral failings in their lives, remember, whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. So what's the principle of sowing and reaping? It's not you do X to another person, you get the equivalent of X. No, you do X to a person, you get a thousand X to you. That's the principle of sowing and reaping. You plant one kernel of corn, you get 10,000 kernels. You plant goodness, you get 10,000 goodnesses back. You plant attack and judgment upon another, you're going to get this in your life coming over and over again. God is merciful. God holds these people up in spite of their failings, in spite of what they've done. He says here, he says in, in, verse, in verse 5, And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. Huh? She told him to sleep with this woman. He does. She gets pregnant. The woman then hates Sarai and she says to Abram, that's your fault. That's your fault. I gave her to you and now she hates me. May, may this wrong, <clears throat> I'm more righteous than you. I am more righteous than you. You've done wrong. 
This whole idea that we can stand back and come with a more righteous ad. I'm more righteous than you because I wouldn't have said that. You said that. Boom. Your career is gone. You shouldn't even be allowed to work. You should have to live in destitution the rest of your life. Because I'm more righteous than you. I'm like, watch out, man. I don't want to be near you when that lightning bolt strikes. Because you are about to reap back many fold in your life. I would advise you not to be on the accusational end of things. She says to Abram, this wrong is upon you. Well, we are told in, in uh, we, we are actually told in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, that when we do wrong, we should bear that wrong quietly. We do wrong all the time. And there's results from those wrongs, but we're to bear that quietly. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. For what credit is there if, when you sin, you are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? Meaning that when you're harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But it's not no special credit to you. You're just reaping what you've sown. All of us do wrong in life. And we bear the penalty of it, so bear it in quietness. Don't go back and say, it's all your fault. It's your fault. You know, you, it's because of you that happened. It's all because of you that happened. This, this whole sort of attitude. Um, in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3, it says, the, Proverbs 19, verse 3, the foolishness of man ruins his way and his heart rages against the Lord. I ruined my own life and I'm upset with, why'd you let this happen? God's like, not me. <laughs> it's you. That was your decision. We can ruin our own lives and then we go and blame God. He or she's, she did this situation. He lost respect for her. She lost respect for him. And now she's blaming him and accusing him. And so what does Abram say? In verse 6, But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly and she fled from her presence. Here is the amazing Abram who took on four huge kings and conquered them all. Bold. I mean, this guy was fearless, marches into battle against four kings with just his little clan of 318 trained men and then the three brothers that were allied with him and they go and they attack these troops by night. They conquer them. This is Abram. You can take a very bold man. He can melt before his wife. He just didn't want any trouble. He melted before her. You see the whole marriage structure unraveling because of disrespect. Disrespect of Abram toward his wife. She now disrespects him. Sin moves in. They disrespect each other. The maid then disrespects now Sarai, everything comes crumbling down, and he says, I'm out of here. You just do with her whatever you want. And now, she runs amok, and she starts treating harshly this Egyptian woman, so much so that the woman flees. What's interesting here is you now have the woman who's, descended, who, who's paired with Abram, you now have the Hebrew woman 
being mean to the Egyptian and being treating her harshly. And soon it's going to be the Egyptians treating the Hebrews harshly. You reap what you sow many, many times over. Look what she's setting up here. God knew all this. And look what disobedience is bringing in. When disrespect comes in the marital relationship, disrespect is contagious. Goodness brings honor. Goodness will bring honor. Disrespect is contagious. When a man brings pornography into a marriage and objectifies the wife through that pornography, she will disrespect him for it and the marriage will start to break down. When a man starts flirting with a woman at work, disrespecting the conjugal relationship and the covenant that he has with his wife, because in marriage... In marriage, there's things you can do for other women. You can go and take out the neighbor's trash for her. That's fine. But there's something that is exclusive for that marital relationship. And if you do not honor it, and if you mess around with it through a flirtatious attitude or through immorality, you bring into this marriage things that just cause it to crumble. And you see, in this case, Hagar fled. You'll eventually see one of those two parties just saying, I'm out of here. I can't take it anymore. I just can't take it. These are godly people. You think that won't happen to me? I'm a Christian. That won't happen. Happens to Christian families all the time. Are you as godly as Abram? Look what's happening in his home. There's no peace in his home at this phase. No peace. So much so that this woman flees. We stand for certain things. We stand for certain things in life. We have to stand for that which is good. Cultures will take us into all sorts of places. They say, culturally, this was fine. What they did culturally was fine. But God has a higher way than what the culture is preaching. You know, this a few weeks ago I was contacted by, by somebody on campus and they wanted, they had an assignment in their class and they wanted somebody on campus, somebody, who could speak the pro-life view. So they contacted me. And at first I was like, don't I have enough problems in my life? Because once I comment on your thing, I'm going to be quoted in your class, and your whole class is going to come against me. And I, I mean, I, I, I got you know enough arrows being shot at me all day. So at first I was hesitant and then, then you, you know, as I started to think about this, I went back to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 11 and 12. The scriptures are my guide. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 11 and 12. Deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to the slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this. Does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to a man according to his work? If I can't defend the children, the unborn children, what testimony have I got? And so I said, come on to my office. And I testified of this thing. And I'm well expecting the fallout that's going to come. Because I know that to take a child's life, rip the child out of the womb, 
You want to know what abortion is? There's two methods. You go in with a skewer that's hypodermic and you go into the brain and you suck the brains out while that kid rides and then you pull them out. Or you dismember them. You go in there and you cut them in pieces inside and you pull them out piece by piece. That's what abortion is. That's what it is. Describe that to me in a nice way. If I can't defend the unborn, what testimony have I got? You say, well, you, you know, a woman's right to choose. Glad, I'm not touching a woman's right, but now there's another person involved. Now there's another person. And the results of this are what we've just seen passed in New York and Virginia. If the child is born alive, it used to be you had to, you had to save their life. Now it's, no, just let them die right there on the table. Just let them die. Soon it's going to be infanticide, and then it's going to be euthanasia, it's going to be let the older people die. This is, you see, sin just propagates and propagates. And I have to take a stand because the Scriptures call me to deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to the slaughter. Hold them back. If you say, I didn't know didn't know, just minding my own business. I didn't know. You know, they did that in Germany with the Jews. Many Germans were not in favor of throwing the Jews into those concentration camps. Many Germans were not in favor of killing those Jews. And to speak up, they risked their own life to speak up. And we look at them and we're like, how, how could you have done that? How could you have done that? Why didn't you stick up for them? Why didn't you, you, you bring them into your homes and save them? Why didn't you do that? Well, is there anybody around us dying? If we say, if you say, see, we didn't know. Does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? God looks right at your heart. Doesn't he know? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to a man according to his work? Will he not render a man according to his work? There are things that are culturally acceptable for Abram to do. But the result of that is, is, is struggles and torment for thousands of years to come. There are things that the society is dropping into our lives that when I was your age were not at all acceptable and are being dropped into your lives and you come with this attitude, well, this is socially acceptable. It's the law of the land, so it must be all right. We are called to a higher calling. We are called to a higher calling. The law of the land is these people are taken away to slaughter. That's the law of the land. See ya. Sorry that's happening. <laughs> no. We are called to something much higher and something much greater. There are things that the culture will put upon you that say it's right. And the Bible speaks differently. The Bible speaks differently about these things, about the cultural things. I'll just send you back to the Scriptures, not the Old Testament, but the New Testament, which guides our instruction. There are three passages. We live under the Apostles' teaching, if you're a believer. Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm not attacking desire. I have heterosexual desires. I've had them as long back as I can remember. From first grade, I had heterosexual desires. 
always thought my, my first grade teacher, she was amazing. Right? And, and uh, um, the desire you can't change. I got married. So does my, my desire for other women go away? No, the desires are there, but I can't act upon them. Because of a covenant relationship. Before I was married, was I allowed to exercise my heterosexual desires anywhere I wanted? No, I had to contain them to walk with Christ. To walk with my God who's given Himself for me. The desires are the desires. He does not condemn us for our desires. It's what we do with those desires. Just because I find lots of women attractive, physically attractive, as I have my whole life. He doesn't condemn me for that. It's what I do with that. No, I have a covenant relationship. And I'm going to walk in that covenant relationship. It's not a question of the desire. It's what I act upon. What I act upon. And what I let my mind do with that desire. Jesus said, if you look at a woman to lust for her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. So you see, he has elevated the Jewish concept of what you do with your hands to hurt somebody as being sin, to what I do with my heart. I can find a woman attractive. Nothing wrong with that. But when I start lusting after her and enjoying her sexually in my mind, then I am sinning. He does not condemn us for our desires. It's the act upon it. And you may condemn me for what I am saying. Fifty years ago, it would have been very different. The culture has changed. The culture has changed. God's word, God's word remains the same. Jesus loves the sinner. Jesus loves us regardless. But he calls us to a higher standard. He calls us to a standard that's higher than society's standards. He was calling Abram and Sarai to a standard that was higher than the standard in which they lived. He calls us to something higher. And His grace is there. His grace is there. God's grace is there. His grace is sufficient. His grace is greater than our weakness. If we will call to Him. If we will call to Him. Let's pray. Abba Father, I thank you so much for your way. Thank you so much for what you've done in our lives. Thank you so much for what you've done. Lord, I pray for these young people that you would cause them to walk before you and take a stand. Take a stand and walk before you. Father, your grace be upon them. And Lord, to the unbelievers that are here, Father, save their souls, even as Jesus said that he's called those who are weak, that in Jesus, in Jesus is salvation. Father, call them to your son, I pray. Lord, Jesus has given his life for them. Save their souls. Lord, I pray that they would see that in their utter weakness, they have no power over the sin that's in their mind and in their hearts and their, their, their acts. Father, that they would see that they have no power over this. 
and they would cry to you, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Forgive me and come into my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, because you have risen from the dead. And may they cry out to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.